Welcome to Culture Conversations, a podcast that helps disciples make disciples in today's world. I'm Chris Moran, host of Culture Conversations, and today you'll be hearing from Scott Prentice with Advanced Community Church. Scott is a church planter with the Acts 29 Church Planting Network, and he shares his conversion story, what it was like growing up in a Christian home and being a church kid, and he shares his assessment story with Acts 29 and becoming an assessor himself. I trust you'll be encouraged. I'm here with Scott Prentice, my friend, Advanced Community Church, and brother, thank you for doing this interview. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's good stuff. First, I wanted to get your version of the story of how we first met, kind of passing each other there in Ohio. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then very quickly, our developing relationship from there these past five years. Sure. So if you could tell about maybe the pre-assessment of Acts 29 quickly, and <laughs> then the phone interview of Acts yeah, 29, yeah. and then that, that first meeting in person with the Council of Pastors all grilling grilling yeah. us. Um, so uh, after 13 years of full-time ministry, um, started out in 2000, um, it, God made it pretty clear like we were being called into church planting, which seemed crazy to go into such a venture having a large family with five kids and like what in the world are we doing and this seems so not secure and but God made it pretty clear, this is what we ought to do. Yeah. We didn't know where we were going to go um, or where we were going to plant. And uh, so just started putting out feelers, and Acts 29 seemed to be the best place to go. Their track record was solid, mm-hmm. and uh, their assessment process was thorough. Now, I knew all that going into it, but I didn't really understand the depths of how thorough oh, it yeah. was. Months. Uh, yeah. And so just filling out all of the initial pre-application stuff. How many months did, did you do it for? Uh, let's see. I think I started the process in uh, October 2013. Okay. And, um, and then I was assessed in January. So okay. it was a few months. How many hours a day did you work on it? Uh, well, once I got to... The theology and pastoral clarity section, they took a while. Yeah, man. <laughs> that kind of slowed everything down. Yeah. Uh, but I think I finished the whole application, everything in, in about two to three weeks. Two to three weeks, how many hours Something a day? Something like that, as much as I could. Because I was also trying to build out a website for the church. Okay. And we didn't have anybody that could do that. It was that. all you. It was all me. Yeah. And uh, so the church that I had come from had given me three months of support. And that's it. Like three months, good luck, mm. see you later, uh, type of a thing. So you had so, to get it done. So we had to get it done. So, so most people respond uh, with a lot of productivity if there's a timeline. Yeah, yeah. And this was like a massive timeline. Like how, <laughs> how much uh, do I value feeding my family? Yeah, like make this yeah. happen. And uh, so it was something like uh, the course of a few weeks just really crunched and then you turn in a section, you know, online approve. and then I got to wait for section. it to be approved and then the next person. And so at, at that time there was, there was, um, a guy named Tyler mm-hmm. who Tyler was, Powell. yeah, he was running the whole, uh, process for anyone who was coming into the network at the time. Now it's much more decentralized, but at the time it was one All gatekeeper. Tyler. Yeah. yeah. So you had to wait for him to read your stuff, approve it whatever. And then you get to a, a phone call. And then once you get approved, then you get set up for a, a, uh, sit down, you know, interview 
based on all the information that, that you've turned in. Mm-hmm. But they don't tell you really what to expect, mm-hmm. you know, on that. And so the, the story is, is when we got to Ohio in January, when we were assessed, it was supposed to be, you know, one and a half, two hours of an interview. So we drove out to Columbus, Ohio. With your wife. I, with my wife. And uh, so we, we get there and, and uh, we go inside. Uh, we see that there's one other car there that's from Pennsylvania. We're like, well, that's interesting. And because uh, we had no idea that any other, you know, especially Western Pennsylvania, you know, planter was on the map. Yeah. And so they don't really release all that information. And so you and I were both there that day, but we didn't know each other. And uh, so went into that. We were the first interview of the day. And the main guy, uh, I'll keep his name private, the main guy pulls into the parking lot, followed by a police officer. <laughs> and so he gets a ticket oh, uh, for some crazy, you know, small town little thing. He gets a ticket and he walks into this room and I'm like, this isn't good. This is not, not good. a good move. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're sitting in this room and you have three pastors and, and one of their wives sitting there and you know what should have been two hours of full whatever was probably about an hour and 15 minutes and it was just intense yeah i'll bet and the guy's like he takes his big folder and he's like we have about 100 pages of application <laughs> information on you in here and let's go to town we have some questions you know and so you get the, like the 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 personalities of the guys that are are sitting there you get one guy is just you know he's kind of leading the way and he's very type a and he's kind of going for it then you got I'm the tempted other, to say names. Here, yeah, right? I'm so tempted, but don't, you know? And then you got the other guy who is just like, I swear he has a background in the FBI. Like he's he's piercing through yeah. your eyes to yep. your soul, you know, and you're you're you know, you're trying to maintain some sort of control and yet at the same time like you're in a pile of sweat yeah. and you're like, I don't you, have anything to hide. Yeah. You feel like there's a spotlight but, on you. But what the sure. heck is going on here? Yeah. You know, type of thing. And then you got this other guy who, you know, he's like the teddy bear yep. and whatever. And then the wife is just, you know, listening in and then so she, she picks her time whenever she says something. And when she does, it's, it's on point. And so those are kind of the old days of assessment yeah. and, and you know, it was meant to be two hours was less for us, but now it's two days and super thorough and much more relational and much more life giving and less FBI interrogation. Like it's more, we're here to support you versus interrogate you and see if you're a fit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't really wear plaid very much and, um, I don't have have at least one. I have one plaid shirt, just one. You have to. uh, That's true. (laughs) But it wasn't, I didn't own one in 2014 when I was sitting there, you know, uh, I don't have a long beard, you know, I don't, you know, at the time, these young, you know, reformers, you know, was were, very hipster. were very like, there was a look mm-hmm. to the network and in that look and feel of the network, man, it was, and you better, let me tell bet. a quick story. Yeah, so ahead. when I did my boot camp, we also did boot camps, right? Yeah. When did you do your boot camp? Um, so that's when it kind of started May of 2013. I went down to Houston, Houston. Okay. Yeah. So I did mine. Uh, with Vintage Church, with yeah. Tyler Jones, Jones yeah. right? Yeah. So when we were there during, like, Ray Ortland was there, Darren Patrick was there, um, Jerome Gay, like, a lot of the, yeah. the bigger names at the time. Yeah. And, actually, and um, Tyler got up, and he said, the Starbucks down the street called me and said, is there some kind of Axe 29 event in town? Because all these guys with glasses and beards <laughs> and plaid are here. And he's yeah. like, there's a look to us. Yeah. So they knew 
you know, yeah. his buddy at Starbucks yeah. hit him up and was like, yeah. there's something going on with Acts 29 here in town, huh? Yeah, yeah we were in downtown, uh, well, I think thank, Charlotte. thank the Lord that, uh, that that's not the, that's the case right. for 829 anymore. Yeah. And, and I think that was due to Matt Chandler saying, like, we want to create a diverse global family of church planting churches, not like a North American niche kind of hipster, young 20-something, you know, I say lumberjackish, but yeah, yeah. I think you know there was um, so the the network used to do um, pastor retreats, and that was like the big mm-hmm. draw was is that the network was going to put you up somewhere, you know, whether it's on East Coast or West Coast, Miami or you know, uh, L.A. Yeah, and you're going to get and back in the day it was even in like um, Colorado, they used to do those type of things. But anyways, um, the the network's too big now. Yeah, but at the time they would do something like that. And that was like a major draw. And I remember coming into the network and it was around 2015 and Chandler got up and he's just like, this is the, this is the culture we're going for. We're, we're not as much about brotherhood, although important as we are about mission. Mm. And we need to be marked by humility and sound doctrine and our love Gospel for Jesus. Clarity, yeah. And, and these things need to be our markers. And, and if this is not what you want to be, and who you want to to represent, then you don't need to be a part of the network. Um, but we, we, we're not going to hold the niche uh, market of this is the look and this is the feel of the brotherhood and it's only about the brotherhood. We have a mission. Yeah. And um, it was a very, ex- like, not exclusive, but you could say that 80% of those pastors at that time had that look, I would think. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know the exact number, but there was certainly that type of a feel yeah. to it. And and I love how the network has evolved and changed and become much more global yeah. in its presence. Yeah. And and really trying to understand how do we, you know, reach people within an urban setting because mm-hmm. they need Jesus mm-hmm. without ignoring the people that are in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Right. Um, in different parts right. of the world that no one will ever, um, you know, rarely talk about these people yeah. because most of the, the planet doesn't the even mountains. know that they, they exist. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, that you have the rural collective yeah. and you have the hard places, church and hard places. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, those are their main main collectives yeah. that they're which working. Which is great. On, I think it's great. Really important. Because you treat those different areas different than the suburbs, than the inner yeah. cities, and the yeah. you know out where there's more acreage than people. Right. Uh, so back to back to your grilling interview. Yeah. So I met you. Uh, that that interview, by God's grace, ended, and uh, and I met you guys as we were leaving. I think it was. And yeah, you we guys passed each other in, in the hall coming in, and yeah. uh, I was like, "Who's this tall, thin dude?" <laughs> you know. Uh, and we figured you were from from PA, and but I don't remember how we connected after that. I do. Well, you can go for it. Yeah, so it was it was probably a year later, um, and it was because Eric over in Swissvale, mm-hmm. um, we were we were trying to develop like a friendship in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and I remember at the time you had a free website mm-hmm. you were gonna a code you were gonna give away. It was like yeah. a two thousand dollar code yeah, yeah, or something. You're yeah. like, hey, do you have a website? I was like, nah, I got a website yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then we started talking from there. Yeah. So I you think you wanted that... a website. That's what it was. Okay. <laughs> you approached me. I did. Yeah, that's right. You're like, I got a free website, that's man. That's right. Yeah. I was like, who can we help? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. So that's what happened. Then yeah. after that, 
initial phone call. I remember I was in my basement talking yeah. to you. Then we started regularly uh, hooking up with, yeah. for breakfast or, yeah. you know, meeting in different churches yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, I remember Megan and I were coming in as you and Heather were leaving and we, they didn't tell us they were like, they weren't like, Hey, that was another Pittsburgh couple. Right. Like I had no, I thought I was the only one in Pittsburgh. Right. Like I had no idea, no clue. Right. right. Uh, and only later, you know, like a yeah. year later, did I find out like, Oh, look at this, this church yeah. in Gibsonia here yeah. is, yeah. uh, is also Acts 29. Yeah. So yeah. How fresh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've become good friends over the last five years yeah. and, uh, and you've helped eternal city so much. You've given me the opportunity also to come up here and, and to teach some of your courses and yeah. classes and participate yeah. in your advanced Institute as well. Yeah. Um, so now we'll talk more about Acts 29 later, but sure. I would really love for our people to hear your conversion story. Like sure. you and I also have an interesting background with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Yeah. You know, my father's still a pastor in yeah. Christian Missionary Alliance, a non-paid pastoral yeah. elder. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Actually they're without a lead pastor right now. They're in the committee search interesting. time. Yeah. So yeah. he's, he's the lead elder. He's the lead I don't pastor. Miss those days. Yeah, man, you remember. <laughs> so anyway, tell us maybe your family, you know, born into a Christian family, not a Christian sure. family. Yeah. What was, yeah. you know, I think I know your story yeah. similar, you know, a little bit, but go ahead. Yeah. I'll try to do like the five minute version Please. Uh, to make it. To, you can expand it. Yeah. That's all right. So I was, uh, born and raised in Butler, Pennsylvania. And, uh, my dad worked for Armco. Farm-like? Huh? Farmland? No. No, okay. My dad worked for um, Armco Steel, and uh, that was his that was his thing. There were, uh, I'm one of five boys, and so I'm the fourth in line. Uh, my my parents were both married before, and so they had, you know, sons from previous marriages, and, and then when they had, when they got married, they had me and then my little brother. And so I'm the fourth in line, and I'm the oldest, if that makes sense. Nice. Weird, yeah. Little Brady Bunch type things. So all all of us, when uh, all of us brothers, when we got we got married, you know, to explain our family, you know, tree, you needed like a chalkboard and and arrows and because it just is crazy. <laughs> right. And uh, so I grew up in Butler. We were part of a Christian Missionary Alliance church up there. Actually, two. Uh, we went to one that was out in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Um, you know, uh, outside of Butler. And then we also drove down to Mars Alliance. And so that was my upbringing for about the first eight years of, of my life. And then my dad's like, I want to get out of working for the steel mill. And, and so I always wanted to do something on my own. And so we moved to Florida and, uh, lived when you were eight, when I was eight, lived about three miles from the coast, the West coast down there, Southwest Florida. And lived there for seven years. My dad went into business for, for himself, and that lasted for about a year. Okay. Um, because it was, you know, basically it was a pastor sold uh, one of his storefronts that he owned, and he was totally a con artist. Mm. And, uh, and so uh, my parents just naively trusted him and lost their shirt. And my dad battled with diabetes pretty bad. And, and so... Uh, so just growing up, there was like my 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 dad went from where we were in Butler, living eight of us uh, with my my great grandmother in okay. a double wide mobile home, mm. one one income household, to living in Florida where it didn't work out the way they wanted to, and so there was a time where my my parents, between the two of them, were working five jobs. Wow, and so it was like you know, claw away at whatever you can. Sure. And, um, 
So during that time, I was going to a, a much more formal Christian Mission Alliance church down in Florida, and and really the big influence in my life were my youth pastors, mm. and um, both of their names um, in succession were. Um, so let me back up. One youth pastor's name was Jeff down in Florida, and then whenever um, later on as a teenager, we moved back to Butler and my youth pastor at that church, his name was Jeff too. Oh, nice. So both youth pastors named Jeff had a big influence on my life. And, uh, so even though I was in a Christian home and, and my parents were trying, they were, you know, super busy and, and there was a whole lot of like, looking back, like really not good theology at all that I was, but you didn't know at the time. I didn't know that at the time. And so, um, a lot of like strong Arminian, um, you know, isolating certain verses of scripture and, yeah. and this is what that is. And so we hold on to like Jeremiah 29, 11 right. is this is gospel and it's not, you know, that's <laughs> right. If you Google search, like the promises of God, the first promise is going to come up is Jeremiah 29, no 11. And it's just not the context, right. you know, which people see that text and context, but we just didn't know that, you know? And so, um, you know, being raised as a, as a, as a kid, the salvation story that I heard was, is you need to say this prayer Mm -hmm. so that you don't go to hell. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea what, what I was saved for or saved to. I just knew what I was saved out of. And, and, and so, but I didn't, I never really thought about it. So by out of, you mean hell? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it was like, all of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. True. Therefore, because you're sinning, you need to say this prayer so that you don't deserve hell. Yeah. It's almost yeah. a condensed Romans road. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I remember at, at 10 years old being away at camp, um, we were, went to this camp called Lake Swan camp down in, in, uh, in Florida. It was a great time, but that message every single night, like you want to go to hell, you want to go to hell, you want to yeah. go to hell type of thing. And I'm amazed. When just, you're young, of course not. Yeah. I mean, even when you're old, you right. Of course hell, not. Right? Uh, but <laughs> if it's described, right. Accurate. But, but what was interesting to me was, I mean, I just, I, we just went through the first 15 chapters of acts. Do you know how many times that Peter or Paul give a message to people about salvation and say, come to Christ. So you don't go to hell. Yeah. Not one. Zero. Yeah. Zero. They say repent. Yeah. They don't, they never talk about that side of it. So somehow, you know, I got this condensed version of, you know, you don't want to go to hell, yeah. right? As being this compelling motivator, yeah. not so much the grace of Christ and, and new life in Christ yeah. and what we're saved to. So I remember at 10, this is what I understood. And so, you know, I, I asked Jesus in my heart like a good 10-year-old would. Mm-hmm. And I remember being baptized in a swimming pool in, in Florida at 10. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think God worked through that story. You think you were born again there when you were 10? That's a great question because I could probably drift into all sorts of like uh, different mixtures of theology to, to try to explain what I look back. All I know is that God had me. Okay. And I would say that um, my story was my whole life of learning things, but just not in context. Mm. And so I had this familiarity with certain parts of the yeah. Bible, but not a fami- fami- familiarity with the Jesus of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. So like bits and pieces of the map, but the map wasn't all together as a whole. I had no idea. Mm. And so and so at that point, I think I was growing, and yet at the same time, I was still through 10, 11, 12, 
you know, the, this upbringing, I was still like going hard after like things of the world. Mm. Like, I, you know, growing up poor and being on food stamps and, yeah. and condensed milk. And, yeah. you know, this is the way it was. I was like, I, I don't want to live like that, yeah. you know? And so there was this, like, there was this dual thing in here, but I was like, I got Jesus. So right. I'm, I'm okay. And Jesus at the time, that was my ticket, you know, to not go to hell. Yeah. Um, and so I was thought of Jesus as being a means to an end instead of the end. Mm. And so I think there were just so many bits of truth that I had, yeah. but so discombobulated and puzzle pieces that didn't fit that it was almost like this big journey that I was on. And when we were living in Florida at 14, um, got in a fight with my dad, uh, one night and, um, and, uh, and so I was watching the, the bulls. You know, and I love basketball and I was Michael basketball. Jordan, Pippen. That, man, I watched them in the eighties, I watched <laughs> yeah, them in the nineties and and so it was nineteen ninety one and I'm I'm watching this is their first playoff run mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, I was supposed to take care of the laundry. I didn't take care of the laundry and my dad came out and just said, I thought I'd ask you to take care of the laundry and I said, I will at the next commercial and you know, in just a little context, my dad was so sick with his diabetes. He was mm-hmm. he was taking two shoe boxes full of, of pills every day. And so at 46 years old, he was a wreck mm. physically. And he had a pretty hot temper. And uh, so, man, this is the playoffs, man. Right. And so I don't care that two commercials have gone. My laundry's sitting there in the basket. He came in and he's like, I know there's been a commercial. He explodes. I explode. Mm-hmm. He goes to his room, shuts the door. I go to my room, shut the door. Uh, and in the middle of the night, I get a knock on my door that an ambulance is coming to my dad at a stroke. Oh, man. And in the middle of the night and and, uh, and within a few days, he's declared brain dead. And, mm. you know, so the last conversation I have with my father is just this... This explosion. Mm. And uh, so at 14, I'm trying to understand, like, what what is going on? You know, what does this look like? And, yeah. and just trying to make sense of life and... What is what are the implications of all this? And I didn't fully understand it. And and so my dad used to say every day when I came home from school, I didn't, I didn't put this piece together until later. Every day when I came home from school, he just sat in his chair because he was so sick. And he would just say, hey, Scott, you kiss a girl today? Hey, Scott, did you kiss a girl today? Every day hmm. I came home. Now, as a father of five daughters now, Ain't no way I'm saying that to my right. teenage girls. Right. <laughs> like, you know, hey, did you kiss a boy today? Right. Like, that's just not, not happening, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I have no idea what the heck was in his mind hmm. or what he was saying at that time. You think he was a believer? I think so. Okay. You know, um, you know, it's so weird. Like, I, I take so much comfort in that God knows the hearts of his yeah. people, and I don't. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so... There were all sorts of indicators of faith, and yet at the same time, a whole lot of things that today, if from what I remember, if my dad was a was part of our church, there would be all sorts of like, what are you doing yeah. type of a thing. Yeah. But I didn't have that lens back then, you know. And so these youth pastors were really influential in my, my life because we lived in Florida for one more year. And that Jeff down there, man, he called every single Monday night. Mm. And there were about a hundred kids in our youth group and he wow. called every single one every week wow. and had like a legit conversation and just really. For how long? Just curious. I don't remember. I mean, how long does like a teenager more than, talk? Like more than 10, 15 minutes? Uh, if, you're, if you wanted to talk longer, okay. you would talk longer. The reason I ask that is because there's all these studies and I talk to our people just like yeah. you talk to your people. Yeah. And one of the consistent 
themes that I hear yeah. is the churches I were, was a part of growing up, there was just no discipleship, like personal yeah. you pouring into me, me receiving, or me being coached to pour into someone else. Yeah. Just not there. I just had a conversation with one of our guys two days ago. Man, I just was not discipled. I, yeah. you know, I don't know what to do. It's not been modeled. This and that. Where that's you're talking about legit someone pouring into you. I mean, every week. Yeah. Maybe more what, than ten minutes. I think what this Jeff taught was, um, you know, he was he was a really good speaker, um, and he, so he could carry the pulpit. But he was a bodybuilder, mm. like insane bodybuilder, and so a lot of clothes didn't fit him well. And so when he came to church. There were a lot of times he was wearing like sweatpants that did not go over well with the traditional. <laughs> oh yeah. Traditional lines. No way. No way. Right. Yeah. And, and so there was this weird tension, but, but what he, what he taught me was, is that, that the gospel, not only the gospel that saves, <clears throat> you know, the good news of Christ that saves, but, but the good news of Christ that, that transforms us. Mm. And, and so uh, what he taught me was, is that, that this gospel message, when it comes together, is transferred through relationships. Mm. And, and so the idea of, you know, um, you know, God can use anything to save people. His, his mm. spirit is what, what saves us and takes yeah. us from death to life. Like I know that. Um, and so if he's going to use someone on a street corner, he, he can do that. Sure. But, but the model over and over and over and over again is going to be this gospel of faith and salvation and in sanctification is going to happen through relationships. Mm-hmm. And so that first Jeff youth pastor taught me a lot about relationships. We lived there one year and my mom's like, this is too hard, you know, living away from family. And so I say this all the time that if, if you're from Western Pennsylvania and you move somewhere else, all you did was stretch the rubber band, but eventually <laughs> the rubber band's going to snap back into that's place right. and you're going to come back. Yeah, that's right. And, and that, that might not be the same now as it was before, no, but I there's think it's still certainly true. that folks, yeah. you know, these, these are Especially my kin Pittsburgh, folks. Man, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just yeah. something And if not, about... they set up a hub somewhere else where there's like a Steeler bar and there's like, my yeah. house is all decked out Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's just, and so regardless of how long people live away, if they're from here, they live away from, they, come back. they still call it home oh, yeah. back here. And, and yeah. so my mom was like, we just got to go home. And so just to fast forward, I, I spent the next few years um, being discipled by a, a different Jeff uh, in a different CMA church, excuse me, in Butler. And um, just really helped put some theological pieces in place. <clears throat> but I think what, looking back on my life, um, um, you know, my dad's statements of like, did you kiss a girl today? Did you kiss a girl today? A lot of my wondering, um, was wondering into relationships, some sort of meaning was going to come through a girlfriend or, or some relationship like that. And so I felt like looking back, um, from a 40 something, you know, year old perspective back to a teenager, I think I was looking for some sort of um, fulfillment, some sort of satisfaction in relationship. Cause I, I knew that I was, I knew I had lost something, but I didn't understand the the depths of what it was like to lose a parent mm. and what when I was trying that to young, fulfill. Too. Yeah. And so, you know, by God's grace, I, I didn't sleep with any of these girls, mm. but, but our relationships, you know, weren't always the greatest, yeah. you know, as far as just trying to find fulfillment there. Yeah. 
So you yeah. were looking to them, though you wouldn't have categorized it at the time, idolatry right. categories. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Meaning in life has to come through this type of relationship. When when the reality was is that, that it was a different relationship that I was really longing for. I mm. just didn't know it. So I go to Co Falls College. Um, well, which is an alliance. Which is an alliance. Or, yeah. or affiliated with alliance. Okay. It's not an official alliance school, or it wasn't at the time. Um, I went to Co Falls College, and I didn't. So at the time, uh, I just had these two Jeffs that were influential in my life. Both of them were graduates of Tico Falls. Mm. And so where else am I going to go? I'm going to go to Georgia, yeah. you know, to, to a school down there. Um, and that decision wasn't easy. I remember sitting down at Allegheny Center Alliance Church, and mm-hmm. we were doing this, this youth event with the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I Urban remember Impact, during, by chance? What's that? Urban Impact? Uh, global Impact. Global Impact, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I did impact. the Global Impact. Yeah, so I was sitting yeah. there, and it was in um, 2017, 2018, somewhere, or not 2017, 18, when I was 17 or 18 years old. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I remember sitting there, and uh, I mean, long story short, just the devotions, I'm like, you know, God, what do you want out of my life? I don't know what what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't I don't know what this is like, and and I just remember as the sun was coming in through the windows, um, there was like, you know, people say about this voice and that, although it was an audible, it felt audible mm. and it was like, go, you know, I was like, go where, you know, and it was, uh, it's just really clear, like yeah, yeah. go into the ministry and do what? Well, I didn't get clarity on the what mm. I just got the clarity on the go into the ministry. And so I spent you know, so much of my life as a musician and, and, uh, you know, I had piano lessons and, you know, voice lessons and brass lessons and all of these type of things. So it's, it just, well, God, you didn't tell me what. And so I guess I'll do music. Yeah. And so I went to Tacoa, studied music. And I remember the entry exam to the school was a, you know, Bible knowledge exam. <clears throat> and it was a crazy amount of questions. It was like, I don't know if it was a thousand. It felt like a thousand questions. It was a lot of questions. And they're like, wait, this isn't a pass fail. This is just, we want to know what you know coming in. Um, Bro, I was raised in the church every morning, every Sunday morning I was in church. Every Sunday night I was in church. Every Wednesday night I was in church. And every other thing that they they did, I was in church. And we want to talk about like, although as a teenager, I had people that were pouring into me um, and telling me about Jesus, I wasn't getting like, what, what is this Bible? How do I navigate the Bible? Blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> 5%. That was my grade. I, I got 5% right. Yeah. For a kid growing up in the church. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. And so I was like, wow. So, uh, Tacoa's Bible school. So there's 30 some, you know, credit hours of Bible. And I remember that was just super formative. And I had one, one professor who talked about, you know, the life of Christ. And from the front of the room, he couldn't get through the passion story without tears flowing wow. from his eyes. And all the Bible professors, because it's not a an alliance school, it's affiliated, but it's not an alliance Sorry, school. Sorry, I'm having trouble hearing you. Thanks, Siri. <laughs> called Siri forth. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. I remember this this professor, like, with tears going down his eyes, talking about Christ on Passion Week. And And it hit me in college. I know about this Jesus and Jesus has been the ticket but I don't know this Jesus hmm. I'm in Bible school like what what is going on and I remember through those those years of school 
and um, the formation of people in my life, you know, and, and I, I traveled with their music teams mm-hmm. and we would spend 12 to 14 weeks in a band, five to seven of us touring the, the country and other parts of the world and doing six or seven concerts a week. And those relationships, you know, God showed me um, this is who Jesus is. And this is how Jesus is lived out in close proximity with relationships. I mean, it felt like Acts 2. Mm. Like we were living together, we were eating together, we had everything in common, like it didn't matter, we had fun together. Any of these people that I toured with, you know, we could get on the phone today after, you know, 20 years, 20 plus years, and we would pick up like we missed nothing. Mm. Um, And and it it took me from... uh, um, you know, my being 14 when I lost my dad until the middle of college to really deal with his death. And what was I searching for? And what did that look like? And so <clears throat> I couldn't pinpoint, you know, like a time, date, place of this is exactly when, when my soul was regenerated yeah. and this is what it was. But looking back on the story, God used each one of those moments and events to lead me to a place where Oh, this is what surrender looks like in college. This is what this feels like. Mm. And I said all this junk that I was working through to be like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not to find this fulfillment in a person, a, a creation that really I'm looking for the creator. Mm. And, and, um, and so it just boggled my mind that, that Jesus isn't this means to an end, you know, like taking like John Piper's yeah. book, you know, God is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the end. Yeah. Now, now this changes everything because this, this God who said, let there be, let there be came through the mouth of mouth of Jesus yeah. in creation and all things being from him. And I was like, wow. And so I can see all of these building blocks of faith. And I, I just think we're, we're so impatient as a culture when everything in a microwave bite-sized piece when really the infinite god can't be you know summed up in a bite-sized piece yeah yeah and that journey of getting to know this jesus is so much more yeah. than that and i feel like the older that i get and the more that i've you know gone to school and the more i've studied and all that the less i know right i feel that <laughs> you know because that. because it's just a, it's just you stand on the edge of an ocean and as the waves come in, and, and it's just like, if this ocean that I'm looking at, and I just see no land anywhere else, yeah. if this ocean represents one attribute of God, there is no ending to that right. attribute. Right. And he is infinite. And that's he's infinite. And that's that's kind of the point. It's supposed to be this overwhelming, but man, we, we so minimize the, the, the truth and the reality of the gospel where we're minimizing everything down to some sort of a bite-sized piece. Yeah. Now, should we be able to articulate the gospel in a, in a succinct way? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, can it be fully known and fully expressed in a succinct way? No. No. no, uh, no. You know. Yeah. The the um, <clears throat> we'll pick back up here, but I want to take a side road real quick. Um, when I first discovered Acts twenty nine, yeah, um, through Mark Driscoll in two thousand eight, actually, yeah. I I discovered the text and context. Um, Conference. I don't know if you remember that conference they did from Seattle. And I found out about Mark Driscoll from John yeah. Piper's conference with Tim Keller and Mark Driscoll yeah. called uh, Supremacy of Christ in a Postmodern World. I think it was in 2006. Mm-hmm. And, and at that time, I had no idea what 
gospel-centered theology was. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what biblical theology was. I had no idea that the Old Testament, the gospel was embedded in every major story and every major character. I had no sure. idea, right? And I grew up in the church like you. Yeah. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Wednesday night, every other event the yeah. church had. Yeah. Bible study at, you know, uh, at kids level for uh, youth group right. in various contexts. Right. And, and so that was one of the huge revelations for me. Um, you know, the, the, the reform soteriology was the first one when I became a Christian, you know, when that dawned on me, I was like, Oh my gosh, I've been reading the Bible or understanding, uh, God and, and being a Christian in the wrong way. But then the second major revelation was gospel centered biblical theology. And so Acts 29, I think was really helpful for me to, to start to unpack that. And you just reminded me because as you've said, it, 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 there's stages of growth right. and God doesn't slam it all onto us in one shot. You know, he's right. not like, all right, you know, open up your mouth. I'm going to pour all this in. Yeah. He lets us for years have misunderstanding. And, and that makes me think like how much misunderstanding do we have now? Yeah. And, and right. And, and one of the things I've learned and and I've gone through, um, just on that side note for a second is the upbringings that you and I share I would, I would not say, um, personally, I wouldn't put them into a wrong category. I would put them into an incomplete category. And, and so what I've, what I've found is, is that, that regardless of, of who's listening, maybe this relates in their story is you could be in a season right now where you're like, I I don't understand life. I don't understand God. I don't understand the situation. I don't understand this hardship. I don't understand this pain. Fill in the blank or whatever is I don't understand or I feel overwhelmed by or whatever. And as, as God takes us through those seasons, there is a point in time that will come when you will look back and say, God used that like he used the previous yeah. good season to reveal different aspects of himself and, and kind of where our relationship with him is developing along the way. And, and so when we look at it as more of like, there's going to be ups and downs, there's going to be, you know, seasons in life where things don't make sense. He, he's still working. Absolutely. Even when I don't yeah. see it, you know, yeah. and he's so patient. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's yeah. one thing that blows yeah. me away is the patience of God yeah. with his kids versus even me with my kids. Like yeah. that just yeah. blows me up. Yeah. So I graduated from school um, from, from Tacoa with a, with the degree in church music and uh, it was really great. Um, the, the experience I had there, I wouldn't trade for anything. And, um, so I graduated then and I got a job without even really applying to Mars Alliance, one of the churches that I was raised in, worked there for just under two years as their minister of music. And, and, uh, and then I got a little itch, um, and, uh, and the itch was, what what was your position there? Minister of music. Okay. So an outreach. Okay. So, you know, put together outreach events to bring people in so that they can hear the gospel oh, in a yeah. succinct way and respond, oh, you know, yeah. from oh, yeah. whatever. Well, if that's how you train, see, that's the <clears> thing. That's all they knew. Yeah. The right. decisionism of the time, Billy Graham-ish, yeah. and I'm not hating yeah. on Billy Graham. Right. God used him tremendously. Sure. But that whole kind of like throw a big event, attract people in, yeah. share the good news, yeah. and then let's get a response and let's count the numbers. Yeah. That was very, very typical of... Yeah how ministry worked, outreach ministry. And that's what we knew. And I I love, like, it comes to mind one of the stories that that Matt Chandler says, like, you know, if someone comes to faith 
uh, in God by as a teenager laying, you know, all of the youth group laying down with their bodies spelling out the name Jesus. <laughs> and and God can use that to bring someone to faith. He can bring events, use events That's like right. that. It's just, Amen. you know, yeah. So that was my role. And so it was really just, you know, changing what was like a traditional style of worship into something that was far more, you know, or more modern than it was. And I was still learning. I was still developing and things like that. And it was an interesting season. And the pastor that I worked for, he was he was good and helpful on training me some of the basics of ministry. Um, but during that season, I met my wife and we had, uh, uh, you know, basically a courtship that I would never recommend to anybody. Um, you Why? Know, uh, well, do you know the story? No. So I met her. I was leading a... Um, so in this church, I started, instead of just doing the big outreach events, I started a, a ministry called, you know, 610, which is basically off of Galatians 610 that talks about do good unto others, especially those within the body. And, and the idea was, is how can we show good to a younger generation that is in the Mars, Seven Fields, you know, Cranberry area that just feel like they're not connecting in, in more of a traditional church setting. So I started this ministry for young adults, and it got pretty big. Hmm. And, um, <clears throat> so I remember doing a luau in June and, um, some people, well-meaning people that were there, uh, invited people that they knew, women that they knew to come to meet me. I didn't know that there were two different women that were invited to meet me at oh, this no. thing and they weren't specifically coming to meet me, but that was the ulterior motives of those that of invited the people them. that invited yeah. them. Yeah. And so I met Heather at this. She was one that was there. She was a a school teacher to one of the women in this group that I had started, little brother. And, uh, and so Heather was a school teacher and I met her and then she came to church the following Sunday. And, and, uh, the next event that we were doing as this young adults was a 4th of July thing. And six people came out to it super small. I think it was like hijacked and how it was set up by people because we had all these big events. And then there were six people that came to this, a married couple an engaged couple, and then Heather and me. And so the four <laughs> of them just took off. Ambush, yeah. And then Heather and I were just there. And so we just talked and yeah. watched the fireworks. And then I invited her, I asked her if she wanted to, you know, get some dinner and had a date. And so we did that the following Saturday. And uh, so we had just, just had a conversation. We do a date on that Saturday. And it was like a long date, you know, miniature golf and the movies and dinner and and then I had vacation and she was a teacher and this was summertime. So she was off and I was off and like, Hey, what, do you want to go to church tomorrow? So then we went to church the next day and she said, do you want to meet my parents? And so I met her parents and spent the whole afternoon with her parents. And, um, so that was Saturday was our first date. Sunday, I met her parents Monday. Uh, we were talking and, and it was basically like, I just said to her, like, I just, you know, a year before, like I, I was in pretty serious relationship. I was in, engaged and like, I was like, man, I don't want to get on this road, you know, that, that could go somewhere serious if her intentions aren't the same as mine, you know, I'm 24. I don't want to be, you know, just spending time without any sort of destination. And so I just said to her, I said, you know, what's your, des what's your, what's your, uh, uh, I forgot what exactly the words are, but what's your intentions? I think I said, you know, what do you mean? And, uh, so I kid you not, our first date is on Saturday on Tuesday. We just said, if, if this relationship progresses, this is our wedding date. 
And so... Um, she How had a, far into the future was it projected? So that was July. We picked a wedding date of December. And, um, and so a week and a half later, I asked her dad if I could marry her. And, um, and he said yes. Wow. And uh, her mom had said during that time, like, this is who we've been praying for for you. And so they had, you know, blessings straight up right then. So from first date to engagement ring on her finger were three, was three weeks. Ooh. And <clears throat> and the ring was on her... The reason it took three weeks is because it was her grandma's diamond that needed to be reset. Otherwise, yeah. it would have been even sooner than that. So first so date So you July, wouldn't recommend that? No way. <laughs> Man... The way we do premarital counseling, there's no way you could even fit it in right. that time. Right. That's funny. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know. But it worked, man. 19 years later, here we are. Yeah. So. It worked. Yeah. So I left there and uh, was a part of church planting. I was a, uh, just, was, I didn't know um, exactly what, what church planting was. And there was a church plant that was right up the road. And I left Mars and. and uh, what year what, was this about? <clears throat> what's that? What year was this about? 2002. Okay. Yep. So did church planting, um, in, in seven fields area with the Presbyterian church and were you like part of the core team or what? Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. And so the pastor was full-time staff and I was full-time staff and I was the youth, youth and music guy. Okay. <clears throat> and in the Presbyterian church, I was an ordained Presbyterian. So, you know, I was just, you know, the guy, I was the director right. of these things. And, you know, it was really good because I was confronted with different, you know, secondary doctrines that I've never heard before and practices that I've never thought about before. And it was really, really formative. So I was with them for um, almost three years. And then um, through a weird set of circumstances left um, there, my wife and I just, we were going on vacation. We we're like, I think God's leading us out. And, and uh, we just decided that, you know, <clears throat> we won't look really hard, but, you know, if God, you know, calls us up. That's what we're going to do. Came back from vacation. There's a voicemail on our answer machine. Um, back in the day, we no had iPhones home phones. Yeah, time, yeah. Man. And there was a voicemail there from a guy I never met. And he just said, you don't know me, but your name was recommended. Would you be interested in talking to us about, um, being an executive pastor wow. with us? And, and so, you know, during that time I was just finishing up, um, a graduate degree in organizational leadership. And I was like, wow, oh, well that makes sense. So I became an executive and worship pastor of, of a different church back in the Christian Mission Alliance. I was there with them for about eight years total. Wow. And then before going into planting. So that's wow. my story, and here we are. Yeah, man. It's been five years about. Yeah. And I said I'd do my story in five minutes, and that I'm took, so bad That took on a time. long time. That's all right. <laughs> I, want, I would rather the long yeah, version, bro. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was really hoping <laughs> that you would tell that story. In your Florida days, I'm assuming, where yeah. you were in the water uh, and there was a helicopter that came over you. Oh you remember? Oh, gosh, yeah. So, so Scott and I are in the Dominican. Yeah. And he's showing me the work they're doing in the Dominican. <clears throat> and we're sitting outside the beach, the Caribbean, and he's at this pizza shop. And I'm like, come on, man, let's go in the water. He's like, dude, I don't go in the water. <laughs> like, like, why, bro? It's so nice. Look, you can see your toes yeah. from six feet. He's like, nah, yeah. man, I don't go in the water. And I'm like, why? And he tells me this story. Yeah. I was just a kid. We, were, we hadn't even moved to Florida yet. <clears throat> but I was visiting my grandparents down there, and um, and uh, so so I'm down there, <clears throat> and my dad went deep sea fishing, and uh, so you know the the moms stay with their kids on the beach and they shell or whatever. I was out in the water jumping waves because that's what I like to do, <clears throat> and there just happened to be a helicopters flying over. It could have been Coast Guard, I'm not sure, 
flying over and, and uh, the guy, the helicopter stops like hovering like above me and they're, you know, flagging me and, and all this. And, and I'm just waving back at them because their flagging was like, get out of the water. And I thought they were just saying hello. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm waving at them and whatever. And I wasn't super far deep, but I was like seven years old. And so I'm jumping waves, but I wasn't that tall. And, and so, so the helicopter gets a little bit lower and they get more frantic. So I just wave more frantically back at them. And then the helicopter landed on the beach and the guy comes running down the the beach saying, get that kid out of the water, get that kid out of the water. And so I'm slowly walking out of the water and I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And they're like, there's a shark that was circling you and getting closer and closer to you. And you were just basically like waving. Uh, what a great isn't story. That a, isn't that an image of, yeah. of people being dead in their sin and yeah, not, man. not understanding, you know, the, the price? The reality, the yeah, danger, yeah. yeah. And and so you've hesitated to go into the water. Dude, I just don't like the water. <laughs> do you blame me? I can understand. Come on now. Yeah. Do you blame me? I don't. I don't. Yeah, I was wondering if that was in the Florida days, if you were out in the yeah, there. No, I, yeah, yeah. I fell in the water once. I uh, was playing when I was living in Florida. I fell in the water uh, in a canal. And uh, <clears throat> and after I made the splash, I saw these eyes starting to come towards me. And, and it, like, it was a gator. And oh, I'm like, man. Dude, I'm, I'm out of here, you know. And my my, my uh, friend that was with me like got me out of the water. And I just... You don't like the water. Dude, let's talk about I swimming understand. pools. I'm in swimming pools, man. I think the risk is pretty low. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways. Yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> yeah. So, so it's been five years now. You're in church planting here. You're in uh, the north of, of the city. Yeah. Uh, we're more closer to the city, <clears throat> not quite in the city. Yeah. Um, tell me about what it's been like to start a church uh, in this context, because it's yeah. different everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and what it's been like, you know, with a core team. And I find it fascinating that you have a, uh, a degree in organizational leadership. Yeah. Like the way I see you and you could yes or no this, um, you look at a problem or an issue and you're able to stare at it long enough until it breaks into like three or four simple pieces. And then you're like, all right, I know what to do with this. Well, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think the more I've been in ministry, the more that I don't, I don't know. Okay. And, and that's been really hard. Like I've taken some shots over the years that has been really difficult. And so planting, the story of planting is a story of an adventure where if you can look at it with sober judgment, you see God's hand of faithfulness through the whole thing. But yet at the same time, in the midst of mm-hmm. all sorts of uncertainty, the, the, the hand of God isn't always as clearly yeah, yeah. seen. And that would, that would be what I would say the story was and still is for us. So, yeah, so we, we, we celebrated five years in September, um, of last year and that was great, you know, did a big party and blah, blah, blah. But going into planting, we had no idea. And so we, um, we knew that we were called, but we didn't know where to go. We had three, three months to get kind of this off the ground and, and so God kind of affirmed through talking with different Acts 29 people in other parts of the state, in other parts of the country, mm-hmm. uh, stay in Pittsburgh. <clears throat> and I don't want to stay in Pittsburgh. You want to go to Texas, right? I don't want to go to Texas. Now, not that I'd been to Texas before. I just knew that multiplication and church planting was happening in Texas. Yeah, man. And it was not happening here. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm tired. I'm like, <laughs> you know, this is, this is hard. And the thing that I kept on hearing over and over again is like, 
the Northeast needs healthy churches and you're from there and you know the culture, you should stay. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, you got to change my heart because I hate the cold and I hate the snow. And, um, and you know, he did, you know, he mm. really did. He, he changed my attitude with it. And, and many times now I kind of despise the, the dead heat of the summer. I can't mm. imagine, uh, but whatever. Uh, so, you know, we just had this like small team of people that were in our, in our, in our small group and, and different people throughout the years who lived in the region, who I'd been a part of their lives through, you know, being centralized in ministry within a, you know, 20 mile radius. Mm -hmm. And, and there were just different ones that were like, oh, you're starting a church. Let me know how that's going. I'd like to be a part of it. And so we didn't have outside support, nothing. Mm. And I was just given three months of pay. Go make this happen. Yeah. Like go make this happen. And and so I was like, well, I don't, I don't know how it's going to work. And God was just like, this was October, the end of October. And just, he surrounded us by some people that just had some sound financial minds and, and, you know, had a belief in, in the gospel and a way mm-hmm. of doing uh, church that, that wasn't necessarily like rocket science. It was just, what does it look like just to, to say, if this is what the Bible actually says, then teach people what the Bible says and be patient and and helping them live that out. I mean, it's really that basic. Yeah. And, um, and so we needed to raise roughly $50,000 from the end of October to the end of December. So it was about 10 weeks that we needed to raise $50,000. And we had a team of 16 people and God, like within those 16 people, like people got bonuses, mm-hmm. people, you know, just were benevolent at the beginning. And then you know, I was teaching some music lessons on the side and, you know, one person that I was teaching just said, I was just talking to my husband and I was teaching their kid and I, and she was like, I was just talking to my husband and I know what you're, you know, trying to do. And we just wanted to do a little bit something for you. And so she just left a check upside down on the, on the keyboard and it was $5,000. And, um, they weren't even part of your core team. No, wow. no, you know, and, and so you know, there were just some events that came about. And so, you know, we need 10 weeks to raise $50,000. The team was like, you could be part-time or you could be full-time, but as a dad with young kids and all, it seems to make most sense for you to be full-time. And so we want to commit to you being full-time and we'll mm-hmm. figure it out as we go. And so over those 10 weeks, $55,000 came in. Wow. And so that was kind of confirmation for you. Like, yeah, that we're on the right track here. Yeah. And it was like, we just, we stayed within our means. This is what we need to kind of get off the ground. And didn't know where we were going to meet and you know even where we're talking right now this church just opened yeah. up and in fact we we sat in this this when i got an invitation this call we didn't even know where we're going and i just got a call from this church a mile from my house yeah man and they're like hey come out and we'll we'll give you a tour of the place and just think about like god's grace in this like this church you know was stable and and it's fine but they hadn't really used their kids rooms like 10 years wow. church just older congregation they're like yeah you can use whatever you want to and if you have stuff you want to store you can use this room and and you know they're like here's what we're going to charge you a month and they've been just it's just been a good partnership yeah. between these churches and so um we've met here from the beginning and just you know whether there were you know 15 people that came out with kids or whatnot that this has been great you know yeah. we've we've basically outgrown it now. And so we're praying about what's next, Yeah. but not trying to rush it. And, you know, the, the church has never been in debt and, you know, I've been full time the whole time and 
we've been able to do ministries and, and help plant churches internationally and help support churches locally and and uh, just trying to be as benevolent and as generous as we can. Yeah. And yet at the same time, like, we, we need another pastor. Like, there's no tomorrow. Yeah, man. Uh, so there's just these weird tensions that are there in, in it, but God's been faithful. I'm assuming that never goes away in some degree. Like, the problems change and shift, but... I don't think it ever goes away. Yeah. And so I think this idea of, like, the church needs to be X size, and that's what success is, is, like... I just don't think that's true. I agree. And, you know, so I, I think you and I talked about this years ago. I, I look at the church as it being a hospital. Mm. And and here's the fascinating thing about, about a hospital. You, you expect for there to be sick people that come in, right? But you got to have enough doctors and that's nurses right. who are trained to actually care for the sick. That's right. But what makes it all the more interesting and fascinating and showing the power of God is, is that we proclaim the good news to the dead. Mm. The Bible says that we are dead in our sin. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's not by our efforts that That's people right. come to faith. It's just the proclamation and then God's spirit does what he does. What is preached. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, so it's, it's so a really the work of the church is, is proclaiming a gospel to people who need to come to life because they're spiritually dead. Yeah. So that the proclamation is going to the, the spiritual c- cemeteries, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing people come from death to life, spiritual yeah. death to spiritual life, and then taking that what has been made alive grow and people yeah. being being nursed and, and brought to health. Yeah, you can even think of it as an infancy, <clears throat> like a, a birthing hospital, because people right. are born new yeah. and they're baby Christians. Right, yeah. right. And so... So it's like you, you look at this pandemic in like New York City, for example, and how overwhelmed they were. Yeah. Nobody on the planet is saying, well, that hospital right there in downtown New York City is the best hospital in the world because it has the most people in it. Right. Absolutely. And and so somehow that's what church success has yeah. looked like. And I know that the analogy isn't exactly pure yeah. apples to apples. I get yeah, it, like we would want but, people to come to faith, which if you want to talk about people, people are numbers. So in the sense of success being determined by numbers, no, but we want to see fruit in numbers because numbers mean people and people are eternal souls. And so, yeah, there's that tension of we do want to grow and we do want to see people come to faith and know Jesus and grow and be discipled and then learn to go and share the good news and make disciples as well. So that means numbers, but at the same time, we're tempted to fall into that trap of if I have this many numbers, then I'll be successful, but that's a wrong measuring tool. Right. And, and, and so, and so just on a, on a quick little, um, add to that would be if we look at how the church is doing in making quality disciples Mm -hmm. who are going to help those that are coming to new life in their process. So the model that, that, most people in the church have been raised with was that's the pastor's job. Right. There's just, you know, and if the church is 400 people, they might have four pastors. Yep. So it's the four people's job to do the work, but there's no hospital out there that has four doctors that's taking right. care of 400 people at a time. That's right. That's insanity. Um, and it's not sustainable. And so, you know, just really helping for people to understand, like, this is what discipleship is. This is what we're called to and in that calling, God has given us great freedom and has equipped us with great power yeah. 
to make a difference in people's lives that are really sustainable um, for them to experience this this good news, not only that saves, but also transforms yeah, right. and, and builds them up and, and makes the body strong. So um, that's just been like a journey of just unlearning mm. certain things, even through the lens of being a pastor. Yeah to relearn things that, that have much more of a healthy metric right. system to them. Yeah. The, yeah. uh, Ephesians four, 11 and 12, yeah. Yeah. 13, that's Quirk my, Saints, that's yeah. my go-to text where, yeah. you know, I think that was our first sermon yeah. in my living room in yeah. 2014 was right. look, we're going to be, in fact, I use the analogy of a hospital too, but I said like a UPMC training hospital mm-hmm. is the image I use. Like you got yeah. all these residents in there, you know, you have one doctor when yeah. you go to take your, you know, your, four month old into children's yeah, yeah. and then you have four or five residents surrounding this doctor. And that's what we're going to do. We're not yeah. going to be a, I think Jeff Vanderstelt used to say what we're used to is uh, a few who minister to the many, right? But we want to be a few who equip the many for ministry. Right. That's the model. That's yeah. Ephesians four, yeah. 11 yeah. and 12. Yeah. So yeah, we, we've been hammering that same gong over yeah. and over and over. Yeah. And bro, for us, it's taken a long time, man. Like yeah. I've, I've just been rejoicing in 2020, even though we're in this weird season yeah. that I'm now seeing it. It took, at least for us, it took five years to get to the place where the, the saints are doing the work of the ministry. And I feel like I'm equipping the equippers yeah. to train like it. Yeah. But that took so long to get to that place. We proclaimed it day one, and it took five years where I'm finally rejoicing and thanking God and seeing it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to see it now expand. I just yeah. want to see it get bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Not not the church, but that model. Yeah. That model of, hey, I'm equipping you so that you can then equip. Right. You know, that's 2 Timothy 2 too. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, so talk, can we talk now about Acts 29 a little bit? Whatever you want, man. Because I think um, we're the only two churches in Pittsburgh right now, and you have, you, you're the Pittsburgh lead. What's your official title? It's like Western Pennsylvania area leader. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. And so I've been a part of, you know, you know, if someone is interested and wants more information, then they get my name and my contact. And there's been several guys, several couples um, I don't even know that I can name them all or count them all over the last few years who have, you know, come in and, and just been explored. What does this look like? Yeah. And, and even interned here. Um, right. Oh, I've got to think about that. No, but, but just giving them opportunities. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say like officially we do an internship program, but, um, that's for like more, um, uh, generic, okay. uh, you know, ministry. But giving people opportunity and, and, you know, giving them a place to kind of land if they're in transition. So we had a church last year that their core team kind of mingled with us for several months. And then they went out and planted and, you know, we gave them a gift along the way and we still, you know, connect and, and all. And so some people that are interested in planting, they'll, they'll, um, you know, kick the tires of X, Y, nine. What does that look like? And, and then um, they can pursue it or not pursue it or they can wait uh, so some people are like, I'm not ready yet yeah, yeah. type of a thing. And so that's what it looks like with that. And then I also am responsible for um, partnership, uh, being the partnership coordinator between here. Here is in the North Atlantic. So we have about 100 churches mm-hmm. from the Virginia line up to Maine. And uh, and so responsible with connecting them with churches in the um, Europe and mm-hmm. UK 
regions. There's about 100 churches over there. And so they're all various sizes, just yeah. like we are. Even Mez McConnell's guys. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. All of them. And uh, so some of them are pretty well supported and others are not at mm-hmm. all. And so we really want people to catch the vision that the gospel is a global gospel and and the glory of God will cover the earth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so this is much bigger than we could ever imagine. And so trying to connect that has been good. In fact, I have a meeting on that in a couple hours and uh, just connecting with some of the guys over there to... Um, in Europe? In Europe, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and try to get you know, more uh, understanding of what partnership needs are and, and kind of cast that vision and get that going. So, yeah. so I travel quite a bit normally, not in pandemic season, but um, back and forth between Europe and, and here and trying to, to really give that type of support because um, something I really believe in. Yeah. I think it's and you've important. been doing a lot of work in the Dominion for many, many years. Oh, in the Dominican? The Dominican, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we have a church plant in the Dominican. We have a church plant in Romania. We have a direct partnership in the UK. Um, and then we've helped uh, local churches here, and we've also helped uh, sending supplies down to uh, Mexico mm-hmm. and um, to one of the cities there, uh, giving them like sound equipment and stuff like that. And then we've had the opportunity to send some other equipment down to like uh, South Florida in a really diverse uh, church down there, really funky setup and, and they needed help. And, and so Doug Logan calls me, he's like, Hey, you know, do, do you have any ways you can help? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. That's cool. You know? And so God's been given us a platform to be generous yeah, and man. that's been really, really helpful uh, for our people just to, to understand that the gospel flows through us. So I say like, we're not a cul-de-sac. It doesn't end with us. We're a conduit. It flows through us. Mm-hmm. And second Corinthians five is just so clear on that. Um, God is making his appeal through mm-hmm. us. And, and so, you know, that's not just the proclamation of the gospel of, of the reigning King, which is true. It's also the gospel flowing through us in generosity to people and, and helping those and, and providing for the needs of people and planters and things like that. It's yeah. been really good. Why do you think, like some cities yep. see a lot of churches planted? Yep. What is it about Pittsburgh, man? Like why, why is it so hard to get churches off the ground here? <sighs> I mean, you've been... We don't have enough time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Short version. <laughs> yeah. Just I what mean... you think, because I'm curious. Like it, it's, yeah. it's a hard city in a sense that like you go to certain cities in texas man and like churches are exploding and things are you know everything's bigger in texas that's true i think i think (laughs) in this area um i think one of the biggest challenges that people um struggle with is that that 80 plus percent of people in the pittsburgh region would say that they believe in god and they um are in good relationships with god whatever that means so on a very low percentage, it's 80. It might be uh, higher than that, but I think conservatively it's around 80, 82% would say something like that. The problem is, is that the actual gospel of Jesus Christ, that all redemption, all atoning work, 100%, a work of grace through Christ and Christ alone, saved by faith, mm-hmm. um, that is not taught and not known. So now when you flip the evidence of that and say, you know, Jesus says, you know, you'll, you'll be able to tell, you know, by their fruit. No, the mother fruit. And, and, and if you can flip that, then we're talking less than 10%, which the implications would be that in the average church, doesn't matter 
you know, denomination, Catholic, whatever it is, and you can lump them all together. Yeah. And the average church was by looking at the fruit, and, and Barna would back this statistic too, then in our churches, in, in our region, less than 10% mm. are, are actually born again. Now, I don't know the hearts of people. I said that earlier. I don't right. know the hearts. God knows the heart. I don't. But if it's less than 10%, then, then when, when Paul says, take off the old self, to put on the new mm-hmm. self, that imagery that's there is like this taking off means we need to undo or remove so that we can uh, put on, mm-hmm. you know, the right thinking. So I think that one of the hardest things about ministry is, is unteaching mm-hmm. false soteriology, false ways of salvation mm-hmm. to teach what true salvation is. So even in professing evangelical churches, um, you know, Ligonier study over, you know, over the last few years, 86%. Yeah, the Lifeway Ligonier one. Yeah, yeah, it's like 86% believe that works are involved. That's evangelical churches. Yeah, man. 86% believe works are involved in salvation. So I think what's difficult about planting churches is, is that you're in a culture where the average person says, we're fine. And the reality is, is we're, we're not fine as a culture, biblically. Hmm. And, and so what does that look like? And to really say, well, we works are, are a part of salvation. It's just that it's all Jesus work and Mm, only his work alone. Right. And, and works are a part of our gospel growth, but it's post our salvation. That's right. And putting those things in order from salvation, not a result of salvation. Yeah. A result of salvation and really helping people see this. So, so we're not hyper Calvinist that, that, well, God just saved who he's going to change, save and I don't need to do anything. Yeah. And I don't There's have no means. There's no means. Well, of... let's just throw out the majority of the Bible right. in the pursuit of godliness and holiness, right. because that's clearly there, but we need to understand the right order of it. And if you're in a culture where it's fine because I have this tradition or it's my grandmother's faith or my parents' faith, or I was baptized as an infant. Yeah. yeah but what's your yeah. faith like today? You know, who is this Jesus today? I mean, all of these things come together. And I think it's part of our Western culture as a whole. But in this region, we are so indoctrinated by, you know, salvation by association Mm. and not salvation by by Christ alone. I can give an illustration of that because I'm just imagining some people hearing what you're saying and being like, hmm. So... I was in Rochester, New York yep. when I was doing hip hop yep. um, and we were doing this outreach event and uh, Tim Brendel was there and we had this big graffiti wall. And and so this this local graffiti artist, um, his name was Crook, That's mm-hmm. his, that was his graffiti name, mm-hmm. came up and started painting on the wall with us. Well, he let us stay at his house that night. It was myself and probably three or four other guys yeah. who were with me doing this graffiti art. And I was evangelizing him. And like, like the whole two days, I was just trying to like get him to understand the gospel. Yeah. And, and bro, I, t- I kid you not, right before we left, he's like, look, man. And he went over to the closet and he pulls out this big Bible, like 10 inches thick. Yeah. Maybe like a foot by two feet. And he's like, yeah. he's like, you see this? He's like, this was my grandmother's. And like, you know, this is a religious household and like just right. what you're saying. There's right. an example of it right. where he was like, look, I'm okay. And right. you want to see evidence? Right. Look at this giant old Bible on yeah. the, you know, he uncovers yeah. it, he unwraps it. And he's like, it was a nice old Bible, probably sure. worth a lot of money. But, right. but his view that he was okay with God 
It had nothing to do with me, you know, telling him about his sin and Jesus and his place and the cross. He was like, I'm okay because of exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and so and that's an extreme example, but I think it does illustrate what you're talking about. But it's the same principle. Yeah. You know, so if we believe that we're, we're saved by association, um, by like, what does that mean? And really helping people unpack what, what is true faith and, and, and this idea of faith through Christ. And so I think that one of the things that's so challenging is, is that people say, well, there's churches all over the place. Mm. Um, and there, there is. And there are. Buildings. There, there are church buildings, um, but, but they're not um, centered on the good news of the gospel. And they're not, um, um, you know, that, that it's, a, it's a faith that is, is not active. And, and that, that, that's a very big generalization. And, and my point in saying that is in, in every church, we could have people that are actually saved, truly born again. Um, and yet as a culture, uh, we, we, we're not thriving in this gospel. Mm. We're not. Um, and so, so when we, when we say to people well, like, why should we plant a church in Western Pennsylvania? Um, because, um, the stats are, there's not enough healthy churches there's, there's not enough Jesus-focused churches. We have a lot of tradition, and mm. I don't mean traditional style of church. Right. A lot of tradition as in we're saved by these you know, religion expressions yeah, yeah. instead of, of Christ and Christ alone. And so we, we need more churches. We need a lot more churches in this, this region. But we need churches who are going to say Christ really is the head of the church and his gospel is the primary thing we proclaim and we will pursue godliness and holiness out of response to what he's already right. done, uh, not with an idea that if I'm good enough, I'm going to be saved. Yeah. Um, uh, the, you know, the Bible clearly teaches against that. And, and so we need more of that. But I think it's just hard, hard soil um, because we're just in such a traditional status quo type of a culture. And, um, and then we also, on the other extreme... We, we have people that are like, well, true faith is going to be experienced. And so it's going to be validated by whatever experience I have. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as long as we're doing food bank stuff, then we're, that's a good experience because I feel good. Yeah. Me and God are close because I feel good in my efforts of what I'm doing, not in what, what Jesus has freely given and, and freely received. Mm-hmm. And, and so really being true to the gospel itself requires uh, a, a reboot of what the average person in our culture would think about church, think about God, think about Christ, and and really understand that this is an all of life proposition, not a I, I go to church you know twice a month, and whatever that church is, yeah. or I was baptized, I don't go to church anymore at all, but I'm fine because of the association I have. Yeah, and those are just muddy waters to really walk people through, but it's difficult. Yeah, man. Yeah, in that light, um, Acts twenty nine has a way more thorough process now than when you and I were yeah. in the process. Yeah. Um, and even for those who would want to come to Pittsburgh and plant or who, yeah. uh, you know, maybe even we would send out as planters sure. from our churches, yeah. um, the process looks much different. Yeah. So there is still an online version where you go through the steps and your regional person is the one letting you in or not, or, you know, in emerging regions, yeah. it's assigned to someone different, but could you explain yeah. the process now? Yeah, real quick. The idea is you, you're interested, you fill out, you know, an inquiry online, 
that goes to you know some main point person within the the network. So there's five networks currently in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it'll go to you know the main office within that network. So our our regional hub right now, or our network hub is in Richmond, mm-hmm. and so they get the initial interest, and then wherever the the person is from or wants to plant, then that information gets sent to one of the area leaders. And so we have I think ten or eleven area in leads the North Atlantic in the North Atlantic, and so if it's within Western Pennsylvania, it would come to me, and then we would connect because you know dinner, coffee, whatever. Um, and we would connect and say, like, let's talk about the story. Let's talk about planting. Let's see where you are. And then my responsibility is to hear their story, understand where they're coming from, point them in the direction of further assessment. If, if they would line up, you know, theologically with us or, uh, or in their, uh, missiology with us, whatever. And we would point them that direction and they would go through a process of further application, and then they would be assessed at an assessment conference. And those those conferences are about two days long. Mm-hmm. They come in with their spouse, and um, it's just a great, I mean, talk about one of the most life-giving things that you can do. It's amazing. And then you get feedback from the assessment team, much like we did back in the day. Um, but they would get feedback as well. Here's where you know I am in the process. And just about everybody has some amount of conditions that they have to do mm-hmm. before they come into the network. Um, it could be like your core team needs to be 40 people. Mm-hmm. It could be that, hey, this doctrinal issue, you need to like kind of clarify that a little bit more or whatever. And then you have about 12 months to finish those conditions. And then there's next steps that are taken on coming into the network. But much more thorough. The coaching uh, is much better than it was before mm-hmm. as far as just the infrastructure. Everything's just built out uh, in a much clearer and cleaner way than, than it was before. Yeah. And people leave, even if they don't get into the network, they feel super encouraged. Which is good. And, and really equipped for the road they need to go down. And we're not trying to be you know hardcore gatekeepers on it. We're just trying to help them actually succeed. And so I think the stats are still roughly the same. It's in the high 90 percentile. Yeah, after people, five years, right? Yeah, who plant, their churches are still going five years later. It's, mm-hmm. in, the, it's in the high 90s. Yeah. Which is one of the highest of all church planting, oh, if not far. the highest. Oh, so without naming names, like some of the leading denominations on church planting will throw a lot of money at it. And, um, and their success rate after five years is about 33%. Yeah. So um, Acts 29 isn't throwing some crazy amount of money per se, at the planters. But the equipping and things that they're giving and establishing the core team yeah. and things like that have been monstrous yeah. for the people who are, are going through the process. Yeah, and I would agree with you that that initial assessment, yeah, like for Megan and I, we use that as our confirmation into ministry. Like you were way past that. Mm-hmm. But for us, that was mm-hmm. like our confirmation. But that information that mm-hmm. we got back from that team, even though it was less thorough than it is now yeah. was really, really beneficial for us, yeah. man. Like that was really, really helpful. Yeah. And I do think that because the assessment is so thorough and you do get so much feedback and coaching and training mm-hmm. that, that is why the success rate is so high. Yeah. Uh, it's the, it's, it is the assessment. Yeah. And then in addition, you know, when you're, when you're in the network, there's equipping and there's coaching and training and yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah. And they're growing in, in kind of their financial support in different ways. Um, but we're, we're still learning and the network went like when I came in, I think there were about 250 churches in the network. 
now it's like 800 churches. Yeah, man. I mean, on all, it's, yeah, is it six all continents? continents. Six, six, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no Antarctica churches yet. Maybe. Maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> Do you feel God calling you there? I mean, talk with Megan. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, man. Um, bro, thank you so much for doing this. Is there anything you would like to say to anyone who would be listening this that might want to think about Acts 29, think about church planting? Uh, they're on those beginning stages of, of like, hey, I wonder if I should be planting a church. What would you say to them? Ooh, uh, I think that the biggest thing that we underestimate is um, the importance of you, a husband and wife, if you're married, being on the same page and willing to jump into the journey of all the unknowns of church planting. Mm. Um, stereotypically, you know, wives want security and they want to feel like there's support that's there. And going into church planting is so unknown territory that security isn't promised. Mm-hmm. And that is a major uh, consideration that, that I think people need to look at. I would also say like, um, the love of the Bible is, is really important. And so we, we sometimes will see people that want to plant a church because they're trying to, you know, prove something. I mean, everyone knows that everybody has daddy issues in different ways. I mean, Mm -hmm. clearly in my story, I have daddy issues too. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, who are we trying, if, if there's any sort of undercurrent of trying to prove something, um, I just know that I could do it better than, you know, the church I'm coming from yeah. or like, those are just like red flags are just going to bite you. And, and so know that it's because of a love for the Bible, a love for Jesus, a love for the gospel being made known to people that need to hear it for salvation and people need to grow in it for sanctification. Like that, let that be the leading driver um, more than anything else, yeah. I think is, is huge. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know how long this thing normally goes, but we, we're, we're just starting into this, this ministry on the love Bible project. And, um, so this is a ministry that started in our area and this ministry is, um, about making disciples through the use of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now we might say, well, of course you have to make disciples through the use of the Bible. Well, it, yes, but we're in a culture right now where people like all sorts of books that kind of hover around the main book mm-hmm. instead of actually using the book, mm-hmm. the Bible, as being the sole uh, main influence of discipleship. And so this ministry that we're taking on um, has uh, international influence. Uh, we're not that large of a church. And yet um, this ministry is was founded right here in our town. And they have people that are... Um, using basic Bibles and, you know, highlighting them, putting tabs in them, putting quotes in them to help people that are brand new to the faith or people that are going through difficult seasons of trials and, and needing some sort of direction on that. And so we're building out this, this ministry to really focus in on what is the gospel and how do we take the Bible alone and use it as a roadmap for discipleship. And, and in key areas of like, who is Jesus? Well, let's talk about the Jesus of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the gospel? Let's talk about the good news of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone comes to Christ, they have a new identity. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things that people don't realize is our new, new identity in the family of God is as brothers and sisters. 
So we read the New Testament. Most of the time that Paul says you, he's talking plural. He's talking to the church. But the average person that's reading the Bible doesn't understand that. What does that mean? So all the implications of this was my old identity before Christ. I was a sinner. Now that I've come to faith in Christ, I'm now a saint. I'm a citizen. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a child of God. I'm an ambassador for Christ. Mm -hmm. Like all of these things are instantaneous markers of who we are. And so building that out within the scriptures, and then and then if we are in response to the gospel to live lives that are devoted to Christ and, and, and marked by good works, then these good works are going to be in pursuit of godliness as we're, you know, changed from one degree to another into mm-hmm. the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, 2 Corinthians 3 is a big thing for us. And so can we take the physical Bible and build out a roadmap for people to use and how to use this as a tool to disciple people. So we're building this out um, so that you could be meeting someone, you know, wherever you are, and they've hit kind of hard times and say, hey, I've been, I have a gift for you. I want to give this to you. And this Bible's marked up that they could go through on their own, but you as being the giver of the gift says, hey, I, I spent some time on this. Um, I'd really like to, you know, walk you through some things of what this says and let the Bible out as Spurgeon says, yeah, yeah. You know, let it do its work. And as it does its work, there's going to be, you know, changed hearts, changed, changed souls, changed families, changed generations uh, to come. So really excited about being behind something that is so purely centered on, on the Bible and using that as a tool like that. So right now our ministry is super hot and heavy into this type of initiative. Yeah, man. And uh, it's it's exciting to be a part of it. I also say while we're on this, before we wrap up, really excited for you guys to join in with the work that uh, we're doing with the um, with like the food drives and mm-hmm. helping people uh, throughout our region. We mm-hmm. have one lady in the church who has just been man going gangbusters. And now that we're in uh, with with collecting food and giving them out, and now that we're in this pandemic season, like she's doing like almost a hundred deliveries a month throughout this region. And it just can't be handled by one person yeah. or a small group of people from one church. Yep. Um, and so excited for that partnership yeah. to take shape too. Yeah, so we have. I got a box of food in my car. I'm delivering yeah. to the building right after this. There you go. And uh, yeah, yeah, we're uh, that. That's a great opportunity as well. Yeah. To to show the love of God. Right. To those who might not have experienced it exactly. yet, or have experienced but not recognized it, is right. a better way right. to say it. Right. You know, Acts fourteen, where Paul's in Iconium and he's mm-hmm. talking to the pagans, and you, he's giving you rains and seasons to gladden your yeah. hearts. And so, yeah. but they didn't know; they didn't yeah. know it was the true and living yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. It didn't end so well for him there either. No, it did not. <laughs> it never ended well, man. Come on. <laughs> when did, he might have stayed in like Ephesus for a few years and Corinthians oh, for a, Corinth for a few years, but. Other than yeah. that. There's a model of, of ministry right there. Yeah. Knowing the truth, but being around people that don't, didn't always receive the truth. Yeah, well, man. Right. Yeah. Well, interestingly, you know, just as I was driving up here, I was listening to the briefing, uh-huh. um, and you know the the Samaritans Purse set up that field hospital right outside uh, in in downtown Manhattan. Okay. And uh, they're they're now being asked by the government to leave because they're. You know, they're haters. They're haters of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, so rather than saying thanks for coming here and spending, I think it was like $2 million mm-hmm. of their own budget, mm-hmm. bringing their own doctors, bringing their own volunteers, yeah. because they had a statement, you must agree to our statement of faith, which means 
you know, only biologically born male and female married to the opposite yeah. sex. If you don't believe this, you can't volunteer with our ministry. Mm-hmm. New York City's like, you're, you're haters. Yeah. You spew hate speech. Yeah. We don't want you here anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that is a very secularized city, mm-hmm. you know, especially that's the center, Manhattan. Sure. Sure. But, but I think that's where America's heading, I yeah. think. Um, but I think there's also a robust on the other side, a very robust, biblical, gospel-centered um, camp, tribe, if you will, that's just silenced. Mm-hmm. You know, other than things like this that we're doing on our own, they're just not getting platformed in a major way in the major sure. outlets. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's very much that first century Paul getting kicked out of a city. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's starting to happen even here in our own yeah. country. Well, I think, I think one of the challenges that we have as, as the culture is sweeping with all these uh, agendas that are, are anti the, the teachings of the scriptures is to say, how, how do we show people a better way? Instead of, you know, it's really easy to say, you know, X group or X person, whoever it is, is a hater. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to say, well, what if there was enough time for people to see that, that we're not haters, that we, we genuinely do care about people Mm -hmm. who are made in the image of God. That's Mm -hmm. a fact. Mm -hmm. Um, but Satan has all different ways of perverting creation and changing it, like perverting it as in altering it, yeah, twisting it, twisting it mm-hmm. in such a way that it gives into so many of our own natural mm-hmm. desires, which, which are, are in our flesh, mm-hmm. what in our flesh. And so how can we, as a people, not approve various lifestyles and various sins while showing that there's a better way? Because what we're really longing for is acceptance. That's right. We're, we're longing for freedom. Intimacy. Yeah, and we're longing to be made known. The problem is, is that the way that Satan has twisted um, God's design um, is, is such a way that these things say, we'll give you that acceptance, we'll give you that freedom, we'll give you that that um, autonomy that you're really longing for. And yet, what's happening is, is in his twisting, he's making people more captive. Mm. And And so, the church needs to figure out a way to proclaim good news like Paul did in his missionary journeys, um, like we see modeled throughout scriptures, to hard places where there's hard soil, knowing that the God of the universe has sent his spirit to change hearts yeah, and hearts. It's up to him, not us. It's up to him. But but we can short circuit the whole process um, by just saying, oh, you call us haters. Okay, well, forget you. Yeah. And, and say, well, wait, wait, wait a second. Like, um, there is a long suffering to ministry. Mm-hmm. And there's a long suffering that, that is part of our identity as being the people. And our heritage. Right. Right. And, and, and I'm just, I'm convinced that if we can figure out a way to, to show, model a better way to people, not saying that we're perfect, not saying that, that our bodies are free of all sin because they're not, Right, right. we're still battling with sin Mm -hmm. day in and day out. And yet this good news offers far more freedom than any counterfeit freedom that's out there has. And we need to figure out ways as churches to model the unity and and love of Christ so that the watching world sees that the King who reigns really is good, really is the giver of all good gifts and has invited us into great freedom. Yeah. 
And, and that needs to be the mark of our church. Yeah, it's interesting you're, you're positioning the gospel in a positive light versus yeah. just shining the light on the negative. Yeah. The, right, like earlier tough. we talked yeah. about escape hell. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of like posturing it in the yeah. negative. Yep. Yeah. Where it is that, but it's more than that. It's far more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that the things that we would have learned early on in life are, are inherently wrong right. per se. They're just incomplete. And so um, I think we have such a great opportunity to the world around us who is desperately looking for those freedoms, def- desperately looking for hope, but convinced that that hope and freedom comes in the form of what ultimately we know is bondage. Yeah. And in that captivity, uh, we hold out to say, hey, we, we have the one who leads people out of cap- right. captivity. You know? It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Exactly. And, and so modeling that with people and saying, hey, Long-suffering, let's embrace it. Mm. Difficult times, let's embrace it. And, and embrace them in such a way that God will use this for the light to shine all the brighter in the midst of ever-present and ever-growing darkness. Mm. And that's where, we're, that's where we're living. And I think where we are in this region, people think, well, we're, we're safe, we're free from those things. But, but we're not. Because there, there's so much of the, the war that's around us is in the spiritual realm, and we're just not opening our eyes to what it is and also believing with a single-minded focus that that the gospel of christ absolutely can penetrate the most Anyone. dark mm. environment that, yeah. that we're in and so yeah I'm, I'm hopeful yeah so the confidence is in the god who saves yeah and his means of salvation yeah. which is proclaiming the gospel right. not in the woe is me and we got to stay away from this darkness because yeah. this darkness is going to snuff out the light no yeah. the light has already won that's right yeah. Yeah. So taking a victory posture yeah. from the front end. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's very post millennial of you, dude. <laughs> Is it now? Yeah. I don't even want to go there. I know, <laughs> Not enough time for that. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Brother, thank you so much for yeah. doing this, man. Uh, I enjoyed it. I hope I hope it was enjoyable for you. Um, I think it's going to benefit those who listen. Uh, these stories, you know, they're they're micro. Uh, stories and pictures of what God's doing all over the world, yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, thank you for sharing your story, man, and being transparent and open and yeah. willing to share hard things as well. Yeah. So really yeah. appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for the yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Love you, bro. Right. Love you too. Cool. Thanks.